Truth Espresso, episode 273. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Well, hello there. This is Daniel Minnick, your host once again for another exciting episode of Truth Espresso. And if you listened to the last episode of Truth Espresso, it was a rewind episode because I and my wife and uh, one of our kids had this really nasty flu and bronchitis type of thing. I know that's been going around, and so even though I'm feeling better... I still have this very annoying, lingering bronchial cough that I just know is going to last for a few weeks. It's one of those type of viruses. And so if you don't hear any coughs in this episode, it's probably because I've edited out a bunch of them just so you don't have to put up with them. So I thought I would do a short episode on a Christmas related verse of scripture. And this would be Isaiah 9, 6. This is one of those very familiar verses. And if you've listened to Handel's Messiah, you know that this verse is one of those beautifully set to music. A few years ago, I did an in-depth study of this verse in another episode. And so if you want to listen further and dig deep into Isaiah 9-6, this was called The Christmas Promise of Isaiah 9-6, then I will link to that episode in the show notes so you can listen to it. But I'm going to make this episode shorter and more focused on a particular phrase in Isaiah 9-6. And so let me read Isaiah 9-6 and we will dive into it. Isaiah 9-6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I know each of those terms, each of those names, and whether you want to consider wonderful, separate from counselor, or if somehow you believe that wonderful counselor or wonderful in counsel, however you want to translate that is one term. All of these names given to the son are worth studying. And the episode, The Christmas Promise of Isaiah 9-6 gets into each one of those names. But for this episode, I'm just going to focus on the phrase, the mighty God. This is one of those phrases that triggers a lot of people who would deny that the Christmas child, the son who is given, the child who is born, the one who bears the government upon his shoulders, is indeed the incarnation of God himself, the incarnation of the Son of God. 
And so the term mighty God is very hotly debated. Is this really saying that the son, the human son who is born, is also properly the mighty God? As in, he is just as much deity as the God we know, as the Father. So let's look at this phrase, what does the mighty God mean here? Is it different enough in Hebrew? Is it obscure enough so that we could say, well, this isn't really referring to him as actually God. Maybe it's something less than God. Maybe it's something that is treated as strong and attributed this kind of God-like status without being ontologically God. Well, let's see. The names for the Son in Isaiah 9, 6. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the Hebrew is Pele Yoez El Gibor Abiyad Sar Shalom. That sounds like a mouthful, but it's pretty simple. Pele Yoez, meaning Wonderful Counselor. El Gibor, meaning Mighty God. Abiyad, meaning everlasting father, or also rendered father of eternity, and Sar Shalom, prince of peace. Now, if you think of like Tsar, you know, like a Russian king, well, Sar in Hebrew would refer to a prince. And we know Shalom, when Jews say Shalom, they're wishing peace. So the names given to the son, Peleoez, El Gibor Abiyad Sar Shalom. We're going to look at the mighty God, the Hebrew there, El Gibor. So, does the phrase El Gibor necessarily have to mean that this is referring to someone who is God himself, is the one true God himself? Well, technically not. There are those who would make the argument that El Gibor can refer to a mighty hero, a mighty judge, a mighty warrior, and that's true. The words can mean that. The question is, is that what the writer is conveying? Is there any context? Because context is king, it's important to know if there's any surrounding context that would tell us what this phrase could mean. What does it mean for the son to be referred to as El Gibor? Now, out of curiosity, I wanted to see what did the Watchtower, the Jehovah's Witnesses, have to say about Isaiah 9-6 in the New World Translation? What did they have for footnotes on that verse? And of course, they didn't disappoint. I was expecting them not to have a cross-reference to where I think it would be actually more helpful as far as context. So, let's see, what does the New World Translation have to say? How does it render Isaiah 9-6, and what do they have for footnotes? So, the New World Translation of Isaiah 9-6 says, For a child has been born to us, a son has been given to us, and the rulership will rest on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So, not too bad there, and actually they refer to the child, the son, as mighty God. And that's not surprising because the New World Translation doesn't have a problem with Jesus being small g God. Now, it uses capital G God, but only because they're capitalizing the words in the name here. 
but Jehovah's Witnesses don't have a problem with referring to Jesus as a God, the Son as a God, as they do in John 1, 1. They will translate it as saying, and the word was a God. Of course, what they mean by that is the word was a mighty angelic creature that you can call a God, but he's not the true God. And so, of course, when the New World Translation refers to the child as mighty God, they want to make sure that the reader understands we're not talking about Jehovah God here. He's a God, but not the God. So, what does the New World Translation for Isaiah 9-6 have for cross-references, for footnotes? So, next to the phrase, Mighty God, there is a cross-reference to Psalm 45-3 and to John 1-18. So, what do those verses say? Well, Psalm 45-3 in the New World Translation says, Strap your sword on your side, O Mighty One, in your dignity and your splendor. So, the word for mighty there is gibor, and so what they're wanting to do is to cross-reference a verse that's referencing someone other than Jehovah God as mighty or gibor as a cross-reference here. So, hey, just to make sure you know, reader, when we translate El Gibor as mighty God, this isn't saying that the child here is Jehovah God. He's just a mighty one. See, that's how you should read this verse. He's a very mighty one. He's a mighty judge, a mighty hero, or one might even say a mighty small g God, but he's not the one true mighty Jehovah God. So that's Psalm 45.3 in the New World Translation. And now the other cross-referenced verse is John 1.18, which in the New World Translation, it says, no man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten God, small g God, who is at the Father's side is the one who has explained him. So, <laughs> obviously, the New World Translation has an agenda here. They're first going to tell us that mighty God doesn't have to refer to the one true God because mighty Gabor here can be addressed to a human being. And then we also have to make sure we read a verse that says, No man hath seen God at any time. Yoo-hoo! In case you're thinking that this child is being referred to as Jehovah God, well, no one has seen God at any time. So that's enough context to make sure that when you see the child and he's called El Gabor or Mighty God, you're not really seeing an incarnation of Jehovah. You're only seeing an incarnation of the only begotten small g God. So, reader, so Jehovah's Witness, make sure you know that mighty God is not Jehovah God. Now, notice that the New World Translation didn't have a cross-reference to a better verse, a more obvious passage. In fact, a passage within the same book, and it just happens to be the very next chapter of the book. So we're looking at Isaiah 9.6. We'll find this very same phrase, El Gabor, mentioned in Isaiah chapter 10. And the New World Translation doesn't reference that. It would be a better cross-reference because it's in context 
but they decide to reference one verse that has Gabor and then a verse from the New Testament to make sure that you know no one has seen God at any time, just in case you get the wild idea that the son who is born is in fact the incarnation of the Son of God. But I would say that a better cross-reference would have been Isaiah chapter 10, verse 21. So, as I said, this verse is in the very next chapter. So, what does Isaiah 10.21 say? It says, The remnant, referring to a remnant of Jacob, a remnant of Israel, the remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God, or unto El Gibor. So, since this is the exact same phrase, El Gibor, and it's the very next chapter, it's in a, what you might say even the context of Isaiah 9-6, wouldn't this have served as a better cross-reference to see El Gabor or Mighty God used? But of course, that would have made Jehovah's Witnesses who read the New World Translation to yank out their hair. Because we can't cross-reference El Gabor from Isaiah 9-6 talking about the name given to the son who's born with a verse that obviously is referring to Jehovah God as El Gabor in the very next chapter. Oh, we couldn't have that now, could we? That would be confusing. Now, is Isaiah 10.21 actually referring to Jehovah God? Because there are people who would even contest that. Now, I think this is a minority view, but I actually encountered someone who tried to argue that Isaiah 9.6 was referring to Messiah as a mighty hero, and then Isaiah 10.21 somehow was referring to Messiah specifically like the people of Israel will return to the Messiah. So I had this exchange with a Muslim in YouTube comments. Now, I should know better than to do something like that and to leave it be because I decided to look that up as I was going to make notes for this episode and I was going to even explore some of these comments. So this was about a year ago when I did this. This was from the YouTube channel, The Gospel Truth. It's headed by a good, cool guy by the name of Marlon Wilson. He hosts and moderates a lot of debates on his YouTube channel. Includes some recognizable names in Christian apologetics, as well as people that might challenge the Orthodox side. So sometimes it's Christians debating Christians on some topics, and then other times it's Christians debating atheists. And in this case, there is a debate entitled, Does the Bible Portray Jesus as the Almighty God? So this is episode 251 of The Gospel Truth. The participants were Jeremiah Short versus a Muslim by the name of Mansoor. And I'll provide a link to this debate in the show notes. So I listened to this debate and I noticed that Mansoor himself, after this debate, was arguing with some people in the YouTube comments. 
and he would keep repeating the same argument about how allegedly the name Yahweh would, you know, the Tetragrammaton would be prescribed to Isaiah himself. And so that was not proof that Isaiah was God. And so therefore you shouldn't try to make certain arguments about names and stuff like that. Now, interestingly, as I went to look at the exchange that I had in the YouTube comments with Mansour here over El Gabor in Isaiah 9.6 and in Isaiah 10.21, I had quite an interesting exchange with him. He tried to argue that he agreed with me that Isaiah 9.6 was about Messiah. But he tried to argue that the El Gabor, the mighty God in Isaiah 10.21, was not, in fact, referring to God, but to Messiah as the mighty hero. So, I wanted to go back and look at this comment exchange, and I could not find that thread of comments. When I was looking through the YouTube comments, I had to cycle through two times because I was looking, what am I missing? Why am I not finding these? I saw one time where I replied to his, one of his comments about the Isaiah thing, but I could not find the thread of comments where we were arguing back and forth on Isaiah 9, 6, and 10, 21. So all I can conclude is that Mansoor deleted those comments. He deleted that thread. I'm not sure why he would have deleted that thread of comments. I mean, I wasn't nasty at all, but I mean, I think I took him to task on Isaiah 9, 6 and 10, 21. And so for whatever reason, he must have deemed those comments not worthy of keeping. And so unfortunately, the world is now deprived of that exchange that I had with Mansoor. And, you know, sometimes I think I really ought to remember that if I have a decent conversation with someone in, on social media especially YouTube comments. I should screenshot them. I should copy and paste them somewhere because you never know when someone's going to delete comments on social media. I've had people delete threads on Facebook. When I was really getting in deep with someone, like I've never deleted a thread, you know, on social media myself that I recall. If I have, it was maybe someone got super duper nasty, used ad hominem, and maybe lots of four-letter words. I, I don't recall. I, don't, I usually don't delete anything like that. I don't have a reason to do that. I want to see people's arguments stand. The good news is Striving for Eternity would love to come to your church to spend two days with your folks teaching them biblical hermeneutics. That's right, the art and science of interpreting scripture. The bad news is somebody attending might be really upset to discover Jeremiah 29:11 should not be their life verse. To learn more, go to strivingforeternity.org to host a Bible interpretation made easy seminar in your area. So, with that being said, the question stands. Is Isaiah 10:21 referring to the one true God? Does its use of El Gabor, the mighty God, refer to God himself, the one true God, Jehovah God, Yahweh God? And if it does, wouldn't that be a strong argument that the child being called, a name being called El Gabor in the previous chapter, 
contextually speaking, would that be a good argument to say that that means that the Son himself is, in fact, Jehovah God, the one true God? The Son who's born, the child who is given, is, in fact, then the incarnation of the one true God. Jehovah's Witnesses don't want to believe that. Muslims obviously don't want to believe that. So, let's look at Isaiah 10, and we'll look at verses 20 through 22. So, let's see if we could gather from these verses and see who the mighty God, who El Gabor is in that section here. So, Isaiah 10, verses 20 through 22 says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God, El Gabor. For though thy people Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. So, if we look at these verses, it seems that you have to conclude that the mighty God, El Gabor, in verse 21, does in fact refer to the one true God, Jehovah God. Because verse 20 says that the remnant of Israel will no longer stay upon the one that smote them, but shall stay upon, and we have the tetragrammaton here, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. There's no disputing who that's talking about there when you have the tetragrammaton. The remnant will stay upon. They will stop staying upon the killer and they will instead stay upon the one true God. And then you have the next verse, which seems to be kind of a poetic restatement. It says, The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God, El Gabor. And then verse 22, we have referring to how a remnant of Israel will be saved. And we know that this verse is quoted in the New Testament because the Apostle Paul quotes it in Romans 9.27. So, the remnant of Israel will stop staying upon those who smote him, but stay upon Yahweh God. The remnant shall return return to the mighty God, El Gabor. Now, if the Messiah happens to appear, and the Messiah is not, in fact, Jehovah God, Yahweh God, then how can you really say that the remnant is going to return to the Messiah? If you're denying that the Messiah is the incarnation of the one true God, how can you say that the remnant are returning to Messiah? Did the remnant go into captivity when Messiah was present there? And then the Messiah is waiting for them? And then in that day, the remnant somehow returns to a human Messiah? Merely only human? Or would it make more sense that since they departed from the living God, and then, according to prophecy, the remnant returns back to the one true God. 
yeah, that would make the most sense. But what we have here is the amazing statement from Isaiah 10, 21. The remnant of Israel shall return to the mighty God, El Gabor. And what was the son called? What was the, one of the names given to the child who is born? The son who is given in the previous chapter in Isaiah 9, 6. That was El Gabor. Now, if you still, despite the context of verse 20, on verse 21, which repeats it, verse 20 gives the tetragrammaton, the actual name, the covenant name of the one true God. And verse 21 restates it. Even if somehow you were to doubt that the El Gabor, the mighty God in verse 21, is truly referring to Jehovah God, well, if we look at the Targum of Isaiah, think of it as kind of like the Amplified Bible. <laughs> it kind of fleshes out, adds more words kind of as a commentary to all these verses to make sure you understand what things are talking about. The Targum of Isaiah 9.6 affirms that the El Gabor, the mighty God, in Isaiah 10.21 does in fact refer to Yahweh God. It refers to worshiping him. So, the Targum of Isaiah 10.21 says, The remnant which have not sinned and have turned away from sin, the remnant of the house of Jacob, shall return to worship before El Gabor, the mighty God. So, it's clear that the Targum for Isaiah 10.21 is saying that the people will stop sinning and they will return and worship El Gabor. They will return to worshiping the true God, the mighty God, El Gabor. So, the remnant of Israel return to El Gabor, and the child who's born, the son is, who's given, who will bear the government, the kingdom on his shoulders, will be called El Gabor. I think that's pretty solid evidence that Jesus, who is this child who is born, the Christmas promise, the promised Messiah, is in fact properly called the mighty God because he is that mighty God, that Al Gabor, to which the one true God is named. And now Isaiah 9, 7 continues about that child who is called the mighty God. It says, Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order and to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even forever, the zeal of Yahweh of hosts will perform this. So I think Isaiah 9-7 obviously refers to the perpetuity of the child, this mighty God who is born, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. So this one who sits on the throne of David forever, this Messiah, this mighty God will reign forever. And I think that is a wonderful Christmas promise. That the one who was born to us, the child who is born, the son who is given, will reign forever, and he will be the true God, the mighty God, the same mighty God, unto whom the remnant of Israel shall return and worship in Isaiah 10.21.
And so as you celebrate Christmas this year, I hope that Isaiah 9-6 and Isaiah 10-21 may be on your mind so that you contemplate with us here at Truth Espresso just how marvelous and wonderful that child, that son is to be the incarnation of the one true God, the incarnation of the one we know as the Son of God, who is truly human and truly God, God of very God. It is he that we worship. It is he that we celebrate. It is he who is God in the flesh. And that is why Christmas means what it does to Christians even to this day. And God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.